This is a Bulldog Radio Podcast. You're listening to the latest and greatest in Ferris State athletics as well as college pro sports and beyond. This is the most valuable sports podcast. What's happening, everybody? Brandon Worth joining you here today in what is a monumental day for baseball fans. The lockout officially ended, and we will see them play baseball on the diamond in 2022. We'll talk about how that ended as well as some big games coming up for March Madness, what those implications do, and more for the bracket ahead of Selection Sunday as well as some pre-NFL draft rumors and even some predictions on what our lines may do in the early rounds. But of course, we'll get into the Fair State Sports Report as well. But first off, we want to thank our friends at Bulldog Radio for making this show possible. Without them, we wouldn't have the tools to be able to make the podcast as great as it is for you guys. And we appreciate all they do. And you can make your own podcast and start today if you want to have a show about politics, entertainment, culture, history, whatever you want to make it about. Bulldog Radio is there to make it happen for you. So make sure you contact them um, through their email, bulldogradiofsu at gmail.com to get started today. And you yourself may have your own podcast coming up very soon. It's a great opportunity. Me and Joe love our relationship with them and being able to make our show the best it can be with all of their tools has been a blessing for us as we've approached our 50th episode here in season three. Not a lot of podcasts say they can get that far. So me and Joe are eternally grateful and I can't wait to have my pal in the studio next week for what is going to be a great slew of episodes. You guys are going to want to make sure to stay tuned and be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts as well as social media too. We post a lot of stuff there too. So at the MVSP on Instagram and Twitter for more show notifications, information, and more. Anyway, right in we go. Ferris State Sports Report. And boy, what a great, great time it was to be in Allendale on Sunday for those that were in attendance to get to feel the noise and just the gratification of victory. I'm very jealous of you. I'm not jealous of the people going to Florida that are getting all just absolutely sweaty and shorts. And I mean, it sounds like a great time, but personally not for me just yet. But for those that were in Allendale in that gym during that moment to have us upset the number two team in the country and win the conference title, it was an it seems like an absolute fantastic experience. I can personally say I was there on thir- on excuse me on Saturday to watch the Wayne State game, and that was a fantastic game. I, I mean, that game came down to the wire. Mallory McCartney banking in a three to basically clinch the game in the final 20 seconds. But being able to take down a team like Grand Valley at their place in the GLIAC tournament title game, absolutely huge for this, this program. I mean, that was just a monumental moment. And we got to see all the pictures and the videos all on online and the Ferris State Athletic sites. And it was just seemed like a magical day, a magical day indeed. And I know that there were some things that were going on as well within that tournament that made it even harder. And you'll get to hear the sneak peek on that with our piece coming out, the Ferris State Torch. You can check that out. I believe that'll be coming out on Friday if you're listening to this on Thursday, a little sneak peek there. But a lot going on there. And it was just a great thing to see this team pursue 
and get through all the hard opponents. I mean, starting off Wednesday against Saginaw Valley State, the 82-68 victory. Um, I mean, that was huge at home. I mean, Saginaw Valley is an underrated seven seed in this conference. They are really a great team. And I mean, they were another team that was able to beat Grand Valley early on in the season and give them their one loss before us. And I mean, just the Wayne State game again and coming down to two points and one shot with 20 seconds to go can really gratify that. But I mean, the main story behind these, this tournament was, I mean, playing scrappy and defensively being on lockdown. And that's really what this team was able to do. I mean, holding Grand Valley to 33% shooting, 11% from beyond the arc, 60% from the line. I mean, that's just that's just phenomenal defensively. Shout out to Coach Westendorp, Coach Walker, and what they did with this team. I mean, they really showed a lot of resiliency, especially on the defensive end. I mean, even in the Wayne State game as well, offensively things weren't working, but getting back in the second half and locking down defense and then being able to turn that into offense was what ended up leading them to get to that Sunday game. And it was just a huge, huge momentum swing going into this tournament. And we'll talk about their placement and more coming up in just a minute. But I mean, this was absolutely huge in the title game. I mean, not a lot of points scored. I mean, 59 to 51 can tell you that just off of the box score, but I mean, they got points when they really needed it. Adrian Anderson had 18 points in this one, along with seven steals defensively. She has been fantastic down the stretch. She doesn't deserve enough credit for what she does defensively. Uh, Caden Blanchard with a double-double, 17 points, 10 rebounds, as well as Mallory McCartney adding nine boards as well with her four points. Maya Hiram, seven points off the bench. Chloe Idoni with eight points as well. I mean, really, just flat-out phenomenal performances around, around for everybody in this game really huge i mean being able to lock down some of their key players as well made it even better i mean charlotte was only held to four points stanton only had six points in this one spitzley did get 18 points but uh eladrosti as well only had four points and those are their primary scores so being able to lock them down from the field was just just an icing on the cake really to what that sunday game was and i mean this team defensively showed huge huge resiliency and I really shout them out because I mean they there was some struggle points in that category this season uh defensively just being able we were able to score just not able to stop enough teams from scoring a little bit more and I mean really in the tournament I mean they I can't say it enough they really locked it down and played some phenomenal defense and that's well deserving of the GLIAC title so they ended up getting into the bracket they are officially in with that auto victory or I should say that auto bid from the tournament victory and their first drum eh, it's a doozy I mean we're gonna be going up against the top seed and the host in the Midwest region of Ashland, drawing the eight seed. Uh, I know there's some controversy about Wayne State being a seven seed, even though we beat them in the tournament, as well as um, beating or splitting in the regular season as well. But, I mean, I think the I think the biggest thing is I'm obviously not the selection committee, but, I mean, being having us play potentially Grand Valley back-to-back might not have seemed like the best idea, so they ended up giving us to Ashland. But uh, Coach Westendorp had interesting quotes about um, going up into this um, that will be in, in the article that I'll be publishing here soon, um, basically on we just did we just did what our goal is on going into this game, beat a top team at their place in a hostile environment. They just did that on Sunday against Grand Valley. 
So the time is now to really use that momentum and do it again against Ashland. I mean, they're going to be a good team. They're always a tough team. They only have two losses this year at 28-2, and two. Um, one of them coming against um, Southern Indiana, another tournament team that made it, and they also had a tough test against Walsh uh, back in February as well. And they're also a top-seeded team in this tournament as well at the four and the five seed. So, I mean, that's going to be fun to see, being able to see those teams right below in the 4-5 matchup, as well as Drury and Missouri-St. Louis rounding out the Midwest bracket at 3-6 and six seed, respectively. Really, going into this game, same mentality, scrappy defense, get, turning that into offense and transition, being able to get steals, being able to get fast break points, being able to set up good, good quality offense for good quality looks. I mean, when we do that, we can play with anybody, and we proved that all season long. So it's going to be a fun matchup. That game's going to be tomorrow, uh, March 11th at 5 o'clock. That'll be following the Grand Valley-Wayne State game at 2.30. So that's going to be fun to see those teams square off one time uh, after this GLIAC tournament. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what this team does, being able to use Everybody to have a good performance will be huge in this game. Backcourt, frontcourt, everybody on deck to take down the Eagles is really going to be needed. A high-quality team. So I'm really looking forward to seeing us be able to keep potentially keep this run going and make a huge run in March. It's been March moves, the hashtag that we've used for this team because they're certainly making them, and we'd love to see them make even more in this upcoming tournament. But moving on over into the men's side, uh, GLIAC tournament ended a little bit more abruptly than the men's team imagined. Just a, a tough game against a good Davenport team. I mean, I was able to be there um, for that game on the second, and I mean, it was just a really tough one to watch. Um, not necessarily from um, not playing as well, but just a lot of things that I mean, really, when you look at this team, I mean, the 91-90 score showed that it was a very high-quality affair from both teams. I mean, almost 50 second-half points for both teams uh, certainly can give the fans perspective on how electric this game was. But, I mean, really, it just seemed like a lot of the time that there was just a key moment of, of, of momentum. And they just really wasn't able to capitalize it, whether it was a missed shot, whether it was a turnover, whether it was a missed defensive assignment. And Davenport took those and took full, full advantage of those moments. And I mean, they ended up going on to win the entire GLIAC tournament as an eight seed. And that was something Coach Bronkman talked about in the, the, the tournament previews with the media is, I mean, GLIAC doesn't get enough respect as an eight seed. I mean, you just had, or excuse me, the GLIAC conference doesn't get enough credit as it is, especially now with an eight seed running the entire tournament on the road. That is something that you don't see very often, and Davenport played their best ball at the best time, and that's, they certainly proved that, but I mean, overall, we didn't play, we didn't shoot the ball terribly. I mean, 52% from the field, 31% from three, but Coach Bronkema said it best at the end of the game in the post game. Uh, can't turn the ball over 17 times. Just can't do it, and a lot of them were in pivotal moments, especially down the stretch. It, it just really hurt. It, it really hurt to see, see those guys just Given away a couple opportunities, and I mean, Davenport had fast break working at their advantage all night. It seemed like they outscored us in that category, 26-6. to six. That's tough to overcome. That really is tough to overcome because we didn't play a bad game overall, I don't think. I think there was a lot of good things that happened in that game for us. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more shots that we felt we could hit, um, especially looking at the three-point category down the stretch. But, I mean, still... 
a great performance. I mean, Walt Kelser, 35 points. I mean, he did his thing uh, down the stretch, kept us pretty close in it. Ben Davidson came off the bench with 12. Uh, Logan Ryan, Dorian, and Louie both sharing nine. Uh, Reese Hazleton had a great game off the bench, 8.6 boards as well. Uh, Jimmy Scholler, seven assists to go with his four points as well. Vegas Grizzulis, five points, four boards off the bench as well. Uh, really just a, it seemed like a lot of the times throughout this game that uh, there was a couple moments where it might have just seemed like we had a lot of these opportunities to capitalize, but it was almost like we did a little bit too much, it seemed like, in some of those. And I know Coach Bronkema um, said it himself in the post game as well that there was seemed like there was some times where, quote-unquote, the team was playing with their tail tucked between their legs, which, I mean, the conservativeness really – it can be it can be a tough thing to do. I mean, especially when we had that seven point lead going down the stretch. You obviously don't want to go too fast and make mistakes, uh, especially with the way the first half went. But I mean, there was some times where it just seemed like maybe passed up a look that you normally wouldn't. And I mean, making an extra pass or the pressure. I mean, they ended up bringing that that high zone later in the game that gave us a little bit of fits. So it's a tough thing to take as a team going into. I mean, the last five games, I mean, this team was in such in driver's seat like no other and then ended up losing. I believe we've lost five of the last eight games. I not now with this Davenport loss. That's a tough, tough thing to take. I mean, overall, when you look at a team that's looking to be number one in the region and I mean, you just have that, that little slip up. And now after the selection Sunday announcement, being able to still be in the tournament as a number two. But I mean, it's a little bit, it's it's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. But I think this is a great opportunity for us because I honestly really love the draw that we had uh, first round. It's going to be a tough one. We're going to be playing the seven seeded Oilers from Finley, a team that we played earlier this year, um, and a team that beat us. But I think when you, I think a lot of the players and the team knows that they should have beat that team, and they definitely can beat that team, and it's a quality team as well. I mean, we. I mean, looking back at that game that was all the way back in November, there was one point in the first quarter where this team was, where it was really in full control early on. I believe I think they started off on a 12-2 run against Finley or a 13-2 run or something around those lines. I mean, they got out in the gun, the gate real quick. I mean, Finley did a great job responding before halftime when it just seemed like we couldn't get a shot and we continued to have a lot of times where too many fouls going early on in the game, but. I mean, there was just some, some some good moments in that game, but there was a couple of times where we just simply looked like just couldn't catch up, and that momentum just kept snowballing on top. So I think there's a lot that you can you could take from this game, but you also have to realize that this is a new team compared to November. I mean, there's been some guys that have moved on from the program. There's been a lot of different style of play, guys getting to see different types of minutes. So... This is a new team going up against Finlay, and I think that's a good thing um, for for us. Kind of going in is, hey, we have this we have this new thing. Forget about that black game in November. Forget about the last five games. Tournament time is near zero zero. Everybody's got a clean slate. You don't even need to know the seating. Everybody is at the moment of where do we show up? What time do we play? And who are we playing? doesn't matter numbers. I mean, obviously us analysts are going to look at numbers and we're going to look at the fact that Finley hasn't been as great of a three-point shooting team uh, at 36% as compared to us. 
But I mean, that doesn't mean anything in, in these in these March Madness games because anybody can be beat. If we can prove that two years ago with UMBC in Virginia, anybody can. So the fact of it is, it's anybody on any given day. So I'm really looking forward to this matchup. I mean, being able to see um, how that we play out and potentially playing Hillsdale or Cedarville, um, the three of the six seeds that will play on at noon tomorrow. Uh, Ferris State will tip off at 2.30 for that. They just missed a mention. Um, but Walsh is going to be playing Davenport as well in the 1-8 spot. And Truman State will be taking on Missouri-St. Louis. And for some of those that maybe have been following the men's team, yes, that is right. Michigan Tech did get left out of the tournament. Tough thing for Michigan Tech. Played a fantastic season. Just slipped up really one round too late. I mean, if they they honestly, Davenport stole Tech's spot. No, no question about it. If Davenport would have lost, Michigan Tech would have probably taken the title over Northern. They would have slipped in, and I would argue that they even could have made in somewhere around the five, the six, the seven seed for sure. They would not have been an eight seed. They would have definitely been a lot higher because they're a lot better than on some of these teams in the region. They could have even had a case. Honestly, you can make a case for them being up with Truman or even Hillsdale for four or three. There's arguments that you can make with that Michigan Tech team, especially how they play down the stretch. So bummer that the Huskies got left out. We feel for you. You guys should be in the tournament, but that's just how the, the it's just how the dice is rolled, I guess. And that's just a tough thing for that program because they really deserved having a They had a great season. And I mean, that can definitely be proved by the times with us. But going to be fun. All that coverage should be on the radio 97.3. Rob Bentley, Sandy Golson will be on the call from um, Canton, I believe. And then the women will also be available online at Live Sports or the uh, live sports coverage should be online um, within the NCAA tournament coverage. And I'm assuming it'll be linked in somewhere in the Bulldogs website at fairstatebulldogs.com. But anyway, moving on now over to hockey, their season officially over. Valiant effort from those guys. Gritty team. Resiliency down the stretch was definitely something that was noticed for me. Um, really, just a, a really a tough way to go down. I mean, I give them so much credit for how much fight they put up against the, the the Huskies. I mean, we look at how that team was going into Mackey. I mean, being able to beat Northern, but I mean, really kind of on the struggle bus for a little bit. I mean, because when we're looking at games that they could have won down the stretch, I mean, Bowling Green definitely would have been a nice sweep there. Uh, Lake State just didn't have anything go our way. It seemed like in that series, Michigan Tech played them literally down to the wire every single game. Needed three overtimes in that series to settle that one. And I mean, being able to play them and do it again. I mean, it was just incredible. 3 2 were the final scores in those games uh, on Friday and Saturday. They We ended up falling. Michigan Tech will move on uh, to the next round of the CCHA playoffs, which will be very interesting, uh, especially now that we had two games or two series that were split up um, between Northern, I believe, Northern and Bowling Green, or no, Nolan Green and Bemidji, I believe, were moving on. In, in, the, in that playoff bracket. So that's going to be a fun playoff bracket to watch as well. I'm assuming that Tech and, Mich- or Tech and Michigan, wow, I can't talk today. Minnesota State and Michigan Tech will most likely be finding themselves in the final, and that's going to be one for the ages for sure for the Mason Cup. But valiant effort from this team, I mean, really – a great year. I mean, 11-24-1 isn't necessarily the record you'd want. I mean, the fact that we gave a couple teams some wins that we knew we could have had, and I mean, I no other game to me just disheartens how our performance was this season than 
the Michigan State game on paper when we were up four or three nothing and ended up losing that game four three. It just shows that this team can play with anybody. They really can. I mean, record aside, we can play with anybody. We did all year. I looked back at a lot of the games that we were in. There was really, I think, only two games that we really just like. It was just not going to work out. It, it wasn't. It just wasn't our our weekend. And one of them was the Minnesota State Series at Mankato right after the New Year. And I think the other one would have had to have been Michigan Tech up at Mackey. Um, back in November, those were really the only two series is where we it just wasn't going to be our our weekend. Every other weekend, we had a game where we either won or we had games that we literally were taking teams to overtime or the final third period every single night. So, hats off to this team, a young team too. I think a lot of people, when you look at a team and an, and that analyze a program, there's a lot of times where people just look at the wins and the losses so much. This team was so young. A year ago, I mean, the fact of it, no upperclassmen really at the defenseman spot. And now this year, a lot of guys being able, we ended up getting some of that senior leadership with Brennan McKaylin stepping in uh, and a lot of these other guys that uh, has been through the program a lot. And they have went through the thick and the thin, the guys like Justin McKaylin, the guys like Marshall Moyes and uh, Liam McDougal as well. And a lot of these, a lot of these older seniors like Ethan Stewart, they really paved the way to show that this team can improve. And a lot of the young guys, I mean, just the fact that all of our younger lines were ended up scoring uh, at the, in the Northern game was, I mean, huge. I mean, that, that was absolutely huge. And that just shows the power of what we can do with these, with these younger players like Bradley Merrick and Caleb Bergang. And I think there's a lot of potential. I think people take the records too much when it comes to this team a little bit. And I think that comes with the expectations of, you know, made a frozen four, you know, it's kind of that expectation. Now it's a, it's fair state, right? Championship culture. I think it's just tough to see because it's a division one level. You expect the best, but I think you got to realize that this team has been young and they really have been playing some great hockey. It's just, it just hasn't been enough to get over that hump into the great, great team category. They've been a, they've been a good team. Hopefully next year we see a great team with another year of preparation, conditioning, and even getting some new guys in to potentially shake up lines. And it's going to be a really exciting offseason to see how this team does and how they respond coming into 2022-2023. Because I, I think there's a lot of high hopes for this team, especially what they showed this year. And I think there's a lot to look forward to. So unfortunate end for this team, but... I mean, we're bringing everybody back, had never laid down in a game really all season. And I think there's a lot to look forward to with this program, I got to say. But over now into softball, their first action in spring break coming up here in Florida. They're 3-1 and one as of now during this week here on Thursday. There's a couple more games to be played as we speak uh, here on Thursday. So they're going to be in, in action as well. Um, against Notre Dame uh, and Trevecca Nazarene. They're actually playing in the sixth right now as I'm recording this here at 4.30 p.m. So, uh, And that's, a, that's in a close one, 9-8 currently, the score in the top of the sixth. But right now, 3-1 and one, uh, overall um, in Florida, um, or excuse me, 3-2 and two actually um, in Florida after the, the, the Wednesday game. There was a couple rainouts as well, which is pretty ironic, you know, because you go to Florida for the, for the sun. But I guess a couple clouds here and there. But uh, they're going to be... 
looking for some some improvement, I think, is definitely the the elephant in the room with that team. Uh, there's been quite a few seasons that I think people kind of ch- or kind of push this team away. I think is the the appropriate terminology um, to the perception of the team, just because they haven't done as well. I think a lot of people just kind of passed over softball um, as as a a prime team for coverage and stuff. But, I mean, this team definitely has a lot of potential. I know that we're put in last in the GLIAC um, as far as the the post standings. But I will be at the bat to defend those because uh, my fellow teammates for the cross-country team were also put in eighth in the GLIAC as far as pre uh, season rankings and we finished sixth so that doesn't mean a darn thing uh, and I hope that this team knows that and there's a lot that can be done um, to improve on this season just because it's early I mean there's going to be games where um, not going to have that consistently o- or consistent offense uh, early in the season it's going to take a while to get the bats going and I mean they've been able to put up some runs so far in a lot of these games that we've been able to see uh, especially early on in in the later parts of February, where they ended up having a couple games, string up ten runs, seven runs, six runs, fourteen runs over at the Dome Invitational. So those are good things to see, and they're able to put that up. It looks like the only thing with them that maybe the little bit of trouble is consistency. Which then again, baseball and softball are one of the most, I think, the most tough to get consistency as far as the play, just because of the nature of the sport. So, but really, I think this team is really taking the right steps in the right direction based off of a lot of the games that we've seen. And I think, honestly, when we look back at the records and overall, I mean, wins and losses, you're going to see, you might see some numbers that aren't necessarily as well as some other schools, but I think these teams are taking the step in the right direction. There's a lot of young talent on these, on these squads. And I think there's a lot to look forward to within this program. And I really wish them all the best as they finish up their spring break trip. Um, as well on Friday, they'll have a couple games before eventually heading back to the B-Rap to start semester class, or, or excuse me, spring semester classes coming up next week. But they're going to have some more games as well um, coming up on the following week. They'll be traveling to Finley and Ashland for a pair of games Saturday and Sunday on March 19th and March 20th. You can follow all their stuff at the, on the softball page on the website as well. But uh, some other fellow sports training right now during this spring break off time, I guess, not really for athletes, but for students, I guess not. But hey, if you're in the Florida area, tennis is also in action as well. They've been cooking up uh, a pretty solid campaign in Florida right now. I mean, they're in action actually this evening against Texas Tyler um, down in the Winter Park Tennis Center. Um, They'll be taking on Texas Tyler this evening as well as Mercyhurst on Friday before they come back home for the ultimate showdown against our friends from Allendale on March 19th. But a lot of good things. I mean, we've been able to beat Dallas Baptist earlier, uh, lost to St. Leo, who's a good regional ranked team. Um, So that's a tough, that's a little bit of a tough one, but I think there's going to be a lot of good, uh, good things coming down against Texas Tyler and Mercyhurst teams that we know we we have a great chance of beating, and that would be great, great wins, um, especially going into conference play that will begin up very soon, especially the home stretch, three straight games uh, or three straight matches, I should say, at home. So that's going to be a big boost for them. Um, so both, yeah, both teams one and one so far. Uh, I mean, St. Leo got both teams, um, but I mean, obviously they're a good ranked team. So uh, I think definitely with tennis as well, 
adjusting to the outdoors has been probably a little bit of a challenge. I mean, longer, really longer matches overall, which can be draining. It can go from three hours up to four and a half hours outdoors, uh, longer points overall, a lot more rallies. So a lot, a little bit of adjusting too. And I mean, us in Big Rapids, we haven't been able to get a break when it comes to the weather. It seems like all year, and it's just been all just all over the place. Snow one day, and then it's 60, and then it's negative 10 with ice, and then there's sleet, and it's 32 degrees. It's just been a mess. So, that I mean, being able to be cooped up indoors hasn't helped that. But, I mean, being able to go down to Florida certainly is the great opportunity for them to get outdoors. So, looking forward to seeing how they do when they return coming back at home at the Racket Center for a couple of home games. going to be really fun to see a lot of these players that have really stepped up and have shown a lot, especially the younger players that have stepped in for some of the older, for some of the older veterans, especially with the women's side uh, missing Morgan Wallen right now uh, out on surgery. Um, seeing a lot of the the younger players being able to step up and and take that spot and use it for motivation and being able to keep their this team upright and on to good things has been good to see. So they're going to be finishing up as well as golf going to have their debut on the course actually today. Uh, I, they're going to, they're in North Carolina, I believe at this very moment, their debut, the young course starting their campaigns. I mean, a really young team losing a couple from last year, but I think there's a lot to still look forward to with this program. I mean, coach Stark has definitely done a great job already. Um, just judging from a lot of the, the training that they've put in, uh, it seems like there's a lot of things that are continuing to roll over, but obviously he's made his changes as well. So there's a lot of good things coming from that team from what I've been hearing. Uh, and certainly I'm hoping that Whispering Pines will show that um, where they are right now for Friday and Saturday's tournament, the 11th and the 12th, um, as well as being able to see them come back home eventually. Um, throughout, maybe, maybe there'll be a tournament at home. I'm not quite sure yet, but I'm assuming that we'll be able to see them out on khaki practicing, hopefully very soon. I hope mother nature is listening. It can stop snowing now. I think that, I think everybody's ready for no more snow, but golf will be in action all throughout the season. You can follow them as well on the website at ferrisstatebulldogs.com. But that's the Ferris State Sports Report. When we come back, the lockout's over. We'll tell you what's changing in baseball as well as March Madness bracket predictions and NFL trade and draft rumors. Don't go anywhere. Over the past two years, this show has changed a lot. But one thing that has always stayed the same is our podcast platform and distributor. Anchor.fm is the one-stop shop to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free. There's built-in uploading options and editing tools that you can make and create and publish your episodes with ease and have all sorts of exclusive options as well as sponsorships, subscriptions, and even monetized ads as well. You can have all the analytics, all the insights to make your show number one. So if you're thinking about making a podcast, look first at Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Second half of the show, let's get right back into it. And boy, what a great day it is once again to be a baseball fan. Lockout is officially over. 99 days of baseball. Having chains on the gates is officially broke. And we are going to have a full 162 game season. I mean, we had the original cancellations of the first two weeks made by Rob Manfred, but that is going to still be 
kind of in effect, but in the reality, we're still going to get 162 games in. So I think just the pushing back of opening day isn't going to make too much people angry, but still not fully done yet. Obviously, the owners will still have to look it over and make sure that all their changes are set and lined up. But there is going to be a Major League Baseball season in 2022. And that's all everybody cares about. So uh, some changes that will be coming with the lockout. There were some things, obviously, that were really played at a tug of war um, for a lot of this this lockout. And some of those things, obviously, um, not necessarily huge in our eyes as the fans, but a lot as for the clubs and the owners and the players themselves, especially the CBT or the CBT that is going to be starting at 230 million, eventually going to 233, 37, 41, 44 over that five-year period. The pre-arbitration pool has now been landed at 50 million uh, and the minimum salary going from 700,000 to 780,000. But some of the things the fans will enjoy or potentially not enjoy that are more directly uh, related to us. There will be a universal DH that will be put in with this new deal. Um, and obviously a lot of these things will be talked about within the teams and the clubs over the 45-day window that still could potentially have some minor changes being made with this agreement. Um, but a 12-team postseason is looking to be the future. Um, Nine-inning doubleheaders will be returning. Uh, thank goodness <laughs> the seven-inning ones were awful. Uh, no extra runner in extra innings. Thank goodness. And one interesting really one, or really one that I was interested in, that players are potentially only going to be allowed to be optioned five times in a season to the minor leagues. That's going to be really interesting, especially now that we've got a lot of the compensation stuff going to minor league baseball and seeing a lot of those changes taking place now that we have these these limited amount of pulling up and putting down players or pushing down players into the minor leagues, I should say. Um, but I think this is going to be some good things that we see. Obviously, there's more that could be added to this deal potentially this year, next year, including the pitch clock um, that has been already really kind of experimented with in the minor league, especially the single A and double A levels. Um, they did say no to the robotic umpire strike zone system, which I can totally understand. I think that's a gr I think it's a good way to go that we're trying to make sure that all these calls are right. Um, I just don't think that there's a I think it's a great idea. Don't get don't don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's the complete time yet to rush it in. I think that there needs to be more experimenting on it because we've had that. I know that there's plans on that going to be put into place potentially uh, in the minor leagues this year or next year, uh, and there's already been experimentation on it so far in baseball altogether and some of the other developmental leagues. But I think that there's still. A lot of things that could be, I mean, obviously the base size change, the number of defensive shifts, those things um, are still kind of being discussed over this um, this 45-day period of ratification um, on this new accepted deal. But I think that there's a thing to say about this whole series of negotiation, negotiations Excuse me, that I think we'd all agree on is is great, but it's too late. This all should have been done two weeks before. I think that's what everybody would agree. And I don't think that it's not, I don't think it's all Rob Manfred's fault. I know some people are really 
patronizing him. I know I've had my share of patronizing Rob Manfred. Um, I'm still not a huge fan of his and some of the things that he's done, but I will give him some grievance because I don't think a lot of the people realize that it's not just Rob Manfred saying, yeah, we need to cancel the games. He's got a, he's getting all this intel from his higher ups. He's got to try to please the players and the owners at the same time. And if that goes wrong, then there's a huge conflict that could be coming over the next couple of years based on contracts when owners and players aren't getting along. And that's never a good sign ever. So I think that there's more people within this that are preventing us from playing baseball than just Rob Manfred. I really do. And the fact that we waited so long during this lockout to start negotiations to me was totally unprofessional because if you are this organization that is pleasing fans, especially in the entertainment industry of sports, when you are canceling opportunities, huge revenue opportunities, that makes your character and your image go not down the drain, but it definitely I it definitely gets flushed down the toilet a little bit. I guess that's a worse analogy to what I was just saying. Maybe just scratch that all together. Um, but I think you have to agree. I think we could all agree. I think even Major League Baseball could agree. This is great, but it should have been two weeks ago. We shouldn't have had to cancel games. We should have been able to get this done earlier. We should have been able to settle all the international draft stuff. We should have been able to get all the contract numbers put together. But, I mean, that's the end of the day, it was a tug of rope. The owners wanted what they wanted. They wanted to get a lot of their money. They wanted a lot of the power within this contract. And the players wanted to get everything they felt was safe and for the best of the game of baseball for them and the fans. And unfortunately, the management with Robert Manfred had to had it's it's hard to it's hard to stop a tug of war without a pair of scissors. And Rob Manfred doesn't have that demeanor to bring the scissors, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people would agree with me there that he is his character and image would say that he's just not the total guy that can step in and and try to make those amends where he will more let those play out themselves, especially talking about timelines throughout this entire thing of the Major League Baseball lockout. But MLBPA, Major League Baseball, five big takeaways, according to RJ Anderson on CBS Sports. I thought this was definitely one uh, article that I think that I think really summarizes well. Uh, I'll give him credit for him being able to summarize everything going on within this. Number one, the deal took the scenic route. That's number one that I think is on my list. We had to cancel the ter- first two series of of baseball and really that that should never happen we should never have to cancel games that's the bottom line in a professional organization they should be able to figure this out before having to cancel events uh number two more money for younger players that's really i think the biggest thing that has come to light over the last two years especially in the minor leagues um not having the the league minimum being i mean i think it's only i think the new cba raised it by over 100 100 million I mean, the bonus pool now being funded at $50 million, that's giving players the ability to live on baseball. And there was a lot of times where we saw, we heard the stories, we saw a lot of these players that got burnt out, and I think you have to say that it's just a benefit for a lot of the minor leaguers, for a lot of the younger players, that now they can have that opportunity, like a lot of other leagues, like the G League and the NBA, for example, that can make a living off of playing um, at the semi-pro level to eventually get to the pro level. I think that's huge. Uh, number three, 12-team postseason. Uh, there was only 10 each year. 
um, going into the 2020 season. Now it's going to be up to 12. And I know this was one that was really tugged about with the owners wanting 14 because they want because two more owners want the the shiny playoff sticker next to their name and an extra big check for getting their team to the play the postseason. But that will not be made. Uh, maybe it'll be rediscussed within the the next couple years after the CBA expires. But I think 12 teams is good because I think it's still like if you have 14 teams, half the teams are making the postseason. I know 12 isn't that much far off, but 12 to 30 is a much better ratio than 14 to 30. Now that's talking only six teams per league out of 15. That sounds better than seven. So I know it's only one difference, but to my mind and a lot of everybody's mind, that 12 to 14 is a huge, huge difference. Uh, number four, the rule changes in the uniform patches. Um, advertising is going to become a, a major part within Major League Baseball. They already made the announcement that games will now be streamed on Apple TV, which is, I think, a really cool idea to get more experienced fans. Um, but I think this is going to bring... Um, I think it's going to bring a little new generation of baseball. The owners, uh, I think, and the players, some as well, wanted to bring a more modernized version of baseball. And I think that the universal DH, I think, was, I think it was really, it, it was coming. It was just a matter of time before that that was going to happen. To have two different leagues playing two different games. I think it's cool to be able to see guys like uh, Zach Greinke step up to the dish and put one over. I think pitchers can rake. Um, so it's kind of a shame that we're not able to see that anymore, but I think that just brings more uh, aptitude of, you know, we're not having pitchers bunt anymore uh, in the nine spot. But it was fun while it lasted, pitchers. I know I'm a, I'm a fellow pitcher myself, so I feel the pain not being able to rake anymore. But, hey, Shohei Otani paved the way. Now to follow him, right? Um, there's also going to be the, the implementation possible for next season, um, on a pitch clock, as well as restrictions on defensive shifts and even possible larger bases for quote-unquote health and safety purposes. That's going to be really interesting to see how that research comes along. Um, but the last one I think that people kind of overlooked was the international draft. This will be, um, is going to be discussed more, and this one will, or this will allow teams to have a better look and a better chance to pick up on players like Shohei Otani and a lot of these other good international players so that they can have an opportunity to play Major League Baseball. But um, this is going to be an interesting idea. I know they're shooting, I think, for around 2024 to get the international draft up and running. Um, that one's going to be still going on going during this this in, these ne this next 45-day window that some owners can make their ratifications and um, throughout this approved deal. So um, those are the major things with the lockout, but everybody just needs to know that we are returning to baseball. And that means free agency is also going to be returning. And there's going to be a lot of names to watch out in the upcoming weeks. Clayton Kershaw, Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rizzo, just to name a few that have yet to sign any contract to play for a team. So they're going to be looking for a team now that we're going to have a season. And that is going to be, something to watch, especially how much money is flowing around right now in Major League Baseball. But the lockout is over. Baseball is back as well as March Madness has returned selection Sunday just around the corner. 68 teams will be taking the floor and having a chance to take home the national championship. And boy, what a season it's been. Uh, I think that there's a lot to look forward to this March Madness, as there is every year uh, in my mind. But 
I think the biggest thing that a lot of people are watching, especially in our area, is how the Big Ten teams are doing. And I'll tell you, they're rock solid right now. They're doing very well. We're right now leading the the projected uh, bids by conference. I believe we're leading right now with a projected nine or ten last time I checked, which is pretty stinking good for how many teams um, that we have in this conference. But uh, right now, you look at a lot of the teams that are automatically in. Um, some notable ones that um, people already know from filling out brackets in years past or maybe have been um, watching the season as it has progressed. Uh, Wright State has made their trip um, and punched their ticket in their tournament. Uh, one interesting one, Bellarmine, they won the A-Sun, but they are not able to make the NCAA tournament because they have recently transitioned from D2 to D1. So they're not going to be able to play in the tournament and also apparently not even even going to play in the NIT as well. And that's a big bummer for Bellarmine. They've had a great season so far. It's a darn shame that that has to happen. But um, there's also some other teams that have clinched their spot. Chattanooga, oh boy, what a huge shot that was. If you haven't checked that out and you just Google it right now, I'm sure you'll find it almost instantaneously. Uh, on Twitter or whatever, wherever you get your news. That's an incredible, incredible ending of a game. And, I mean, we still got more madness to come. It's only March 10th, guys. Yeah, there's a lot to go on. My voice just got really high for some reason. I don't know why. But some other notable teams that have already got the audio qualification into the national tournament. Uh, Wright State, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Georgia State, um, notable R.J. Hunter, the buzzer beater. They're going to be back. Uh, Murray State, John Morant's, um, uh, excuse me, uh, John Morant's, what is the, what is it called? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking so hard. I'm going to stall until I get it. Uh, alma mater, that's the one right there, the word I was trying to think of. I apologize for you trying to figure out what my, my, brain process was. South Dakota State is also another one that is going to clinch their spot. Colgate has punched their ticket as well as Jacksonville State, who are going to be replacing Bellarmine, as I just mentioned earlier, um, as well as Gonzaga, the only other auto qualifiers as of now. More will come, obviously, here at the end of championship week um, for the conference tournaments. But some notable things to go through with this upcoming tournament, um, some predictions um, that I promised that I would make throughout this episode. I think there's some teams that I really would love to see um, get the turn or get the tournament buzz that they deserve. Uh, and I think one that you can definitely look at as far as teams that could potentially be squeaking their way in that are on the bubble right now, a 12 seed, 11 seed playing game. Um, this one really hurt me. Uh, those that just watched earlier today here on March 10th, Michigan losing to Indiana. Indiana almost seals their spot um, in the tournament in the last four in. They'll probably have to play a play-in game, which also gives Michigan an opportunity to fall into the last four in and have to play a play-in game as well. Maybe even playing each other. Who knows at this point? Um, but Rutgers also is in that conversation. They're going to be playing later tonight in the Big Ten tournament, so they're going to be a team to watch as well as some other teams um, that are just outside looking in, Virginia and Dayton, two examples, as well as Virginia Tech that still technically have a chance but could find themselves in with a good with a good conference tournament to add to their resume compared to some teams that may fall short, uh, like Wyoming or Wake Forest. So there's a lot to look forward to on the bubble. Now some, I'm sure, are wondering what happened to Michigan. 
I did not watch the game. I will be honest, I didn't watch the game. I was at work. I was disgusted when I got a text message from one of my best buddies, Steven. Shout out to him if he's listening. That we had lost the game after leading by 17 points. How can you let that happen? How can you do it? How in the world can you let that happen? I watched part of the the highlights of the game. I talked to some people that watched the game. We let the game go. And it's their fault they're sweating now. Too many turnovers in the second half. And you have to imagine that there had to be something put on this after Juwan Howard coming back. I'm not saying it's Juwan's fault. I'm not saying that at all. I'm glad he's back. I'm glad Martelli is still there and doing a great job there as the assistant because I know some some coaches would have liked to have stick in that role after the, the success that he had. I think there's a lot of Martelli fans that were built over this last couple weeks, and it was kind of hard to see. It's hard. Let me let me rephrase. It's hard to put into perspective with Juwan Howard coming back and the team immediately losing after Martelli had gotten us some huge wins, especially at Ohio State. That's hard, man. That's really hard to take, and it hurts. But Michigan is still, as of a lot of the analysts said, they're still in. They might squeak into the last four in, but a lot of them are still saying Michigan is still in, and they're even going to get a bye, which would be huge. I don't want to have to do the the stress of having them have to play in a play-in game, but it's very well possible, and I'm not going to rule that out. I think that they have a better chance to get into the last four in and have to play in that play-in game than some of the other teams do like Creighton or Rutgers because Rutgers has beaten almost just as many quad one teams as Michigan has, believe it or not. Yeah, Rutgers, they're a good team. But if they lose that, they might get the they might get the short end to stick with the last four in. But those are some of the bubble teams. And some of the top teams, I will admit, definitely I have some skepticism with. And I'll show you some of those teams right now. Looking at as far as the rankings of some of the teams as far as um, the chances to win at all um, as in the in this tournament, there's a lot that you can put into perspective of how different sites rank different teams based off of Ken Palm, the net score, strength of schedule, record, uh, quad one, quad whatever wins. That's a lot confusing to the average fan, I know. Uh, but I think that you're still, I think, you can still say that Gonzaga should be the favorite across the board because obviously they take care of business. I mean, they did lose to St. Mary's, but I think people woke up and realized how good a team St. Mary's really is. And they should be considered a five or a six seed going in this tournament, I think for sure, or even maybe a seven seed if they're that. I don't think that they should be put in that category with potential teams like Marquette or uh, Iowa State, maybe. I don't even think they'd be that high. But based on a lot of these project or projections and predictions, I think that there's a couple teams that I will tell you right now I do not think will cut down the nets in the national championship game. And I'll be I'll be completely glad to repeal my this audio clip and say, yep, I was wrong. I will admit I was wrong. I do believe Kansas will not win. I'll, I'll go out right out and say it. I do not believe Kansas will win at all because they're inconsistencies. Not only that this year, but in the tournament altogether. Guys, how many times have we put Kansas in our brackets and they came up a game or two short every time? 
it's just, it's so hard to make, say this is their year. They haven't won at all in a long time, and they just haven't gotten to that that save yet. And I would bet money more on teams that we know every year there's going to be a new top team in that conversation. Houston was a couple years ago. I mean, we had UCLA last year. We had Michigan in there as well. The first time, first seed getting up there as well. I would rather have money more on those type of teams like the Auburn or Arizona's, uh, even maybe even putting in of another veteran team like Villanova or Duke in that conversation over Kansas because Kansas to me is just let me down too many times. They've let down America too many times. And it's just really hard for me to see them as a total contender to win it all based on their history. And that's no offense to them. That's just the way that I think. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of uh, a buzz about potentially seeing uh, Kentucky making it. I love what Kentucky's done on the stretch. I'm not sold on them yet. I think that there's still a lot to work to be done. But I will say I like them better than a potential team like Auburn. And I think Auburn is a great team. I really do. I think they're they're going to find themselves into a one seed. But I think with the run that they've had, I think it's fair to say this. They're almost kind of Gonzaga-ing it. I know that's not a word, but I think it describes what I'm saying really well. They're winning all these games, too many games almost, to where that they won't win any in the tournament. You know what I mean? Gonzaga every year is a th- almost a 30-win team every single year. And there's been too many times it came up short. Not like Kansas, where they've always had six, seven, eight losses, but still a top two team going into the tournament somehow. But I think that 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 streak of games is almost going to hurt them from an analyst perspective, where I would rather take teams that have played much better over the last couple of games, like Arizona, like Butler, like Duke. You could maybe even throw a team, even like maybe even UCLA. They haven't played that great, but I mean, they've been playing much better. So I think those are two teams that I don't like that the top seeds that I think are going to be bust. Kentucky and Kansas are two. I think Oscar Oshibo has been great, but I think that there's a lot of other bigs that can neutralize them. Um, Some sleeper teams that I could make a prediction on as far as being able to make a potential run in the tournament down the, down the list. I really do think that there's a good argument that Texas Tech can bring it back. I mean, with the coaching change that they had to go through with Chris Beard leaving to go to Austin, I think was a little bit of a detriment to the program. But, I mean, they've played some great basketball. They had a couple slip-ups against teams like TCU, but their defense is great. Their offensive efficiency is is could be a little bit better, but it's great. Uh, but I think that them as a potential, I mean, we could be talking four seed, five seed maybe for Texas Tech. That's a dangerous four or five seed in my book. I think that's a team that you can really look at as far as maybe being a team that could run even through the Big 12 tournament. Um, And then another one that I like um, a little bit down the list, I think a little bit, and I said it all already on the show. I really like what UConn's been doing. I kind of hope that they pull a, they, they pull a miracle and, and sweep their way through uh, and, and get to that Big East title game and win it. I don't know if it's totally possible, but I think that they have a good shot. And I think that w- the way that they've played this year has really proved a lot of people wrong. And I really want them to be able to get to that, to, 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 that, that get to that spot and be able to prove them wrong. Because their offensive efficiency has been great. And I really look forward to being able to see how they do. 
But those are two teams that I like um, from the lower and the higher end of the spectrum to do the opposite of what they're projected. But uh, last thing here, conference tournaments, uh, AAC champion. Um, if I had to make my prediction here, I'm going to go. I think I'm I'm still on the Houston boat, but don't be surprised if Memphis be plays spoiler for how well they've been playing. I think Houston is the favorite. I think, but I think you gotta watch out for Memphis. I really do think I really do think that they are in trouble. Um, Houston is, I should say, going into potential to play Memphis. Uh, but I mean, obviously, SMU's in there and a win, and they they could really find them their spot with a huge with a win. That would be absolutely huge for that program. Uh, ACC, North Carolina, maybe upset Duke, but I don't want you to plan on that. I think Miami could be a team that could sleep. You could probably put up into that mix, but I think it's got to be Duke or North Carolina in my book. Uh, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech are good teams and really need wins, but I don't think they're going to get that close. So that's one that I'm going to be worried about. Uh, the Big East, uh, UConn, I think right now is the one that I'd be favoring, but don't be surprised if Villanova or even Providence. Providence has been playing some great basketball. They just haven't got any credit for just being a smaller school. Uh, that's no disrespect to them whatsoever. Uh, Big Ten's completely wide open in my book. Uh, I personally think this might be the year for Wisconsin. I I really do. If Johnny Davis is healthy, I don't think that anybody can really run into them, especially for the the big game flustered tendencies of Illinois and Purdue. So that leaves Iowa, and I I love Iowa's chances against Wisconsin. I really do. So, but some other teams could play spoiler. Uh, I I think that's definitely one. I think right now Wisconsin's fourth in the the books. This might be their time. I, I hate to say it, but it might be their time, especially the ran after I went after uh, their strength and conditioning coach, but he needed to be held in check. Big 12 tournament. Oh boy. I like Baylor still. I really do. I hope Texas Tech maybe gives them a run, but I really do like Baylor. I, I really do. They're got to be one of my favorite teams, especially for the success they gave me last year. And I really loved what I saw. So uh, I think another team that you can definitely watch out for uh, in the Pac-12 outside of Arizona is UCLA. I think you really should see Johnny Juzang and one of those er, in that team be able to make a potential run. But Colorado is also a sneaky team at the four spot. I think that's a team that you could, if you were making a bet on a wild, just a wild bet, that that'd be a team that I put my money on because they could get hot and really run a great tournament like they have a couple years now over the last couple four or five years. But SEC, um, I like, I like. Auburn, I do. I think Kentucky's the favorite, which is why I like Auburn a little bit more because I think Kentucky's definitely the favorite because of their success. But I think that Auburn really could put it together this year. It seems like they're gonna they're gonna really run themselves into a great tournament. But don't be surprised if teams like Arkansas or Auburn potentially spoil the party. But those are the conference tournament picks as well. And we will obviously get to more March Madness bracket predictions and more coming up on this next episode coming up next week but finishing out the show on the gridiron the nfl draft is only a month away and boy what a draft it could potentially be we've already seen the trades that have already happened some blockbusters including quarterbacks changing franchises we'll get into those just a minute as well as the pre and post combine drop and really fly up of players um, that are really putting themselves in a position to be making a lot of money as a high draft pick compared to a post-combine. So looking at some of those the, the prospect news, obviously, first thing on the list, the Seattle Seahawks, really, I think that they're in a position now where quarterback in the draft, 
and start over. I, I really do think that this is an unfortunate thing for Seattle fans going through the Legion of Doom and having Russell Wilson being dealt to the Denver Broncos, which makes that division almost too good. And I'll get and I will get into that here in a minute as well. But I think Seattle's in a point now where you got to rebuild. I know you don't you want to keep Metcalf and I know you want to keep Lockett, but you're getting rid of you left Bobby Wagner go. And to me, that's the sign. That that's the one. You have Jamal Adams that potentially could leave in a year or two when this team starts to derail and he's going to play for a championship contender on his quote of end career. And then you also got players that you got to make decisions on like Chris Carson. Are you going to keep him long-term? Are you going to go with Rashad Penny, DJ Dallas, potentially down the road? Uh, I mean, I mean, you still have Noah Fant. You got a lot of great defensive pieces like Shelby Harris in that Denver trade as well as picks. So I think that, that team is going to be looking at a rebuild, but Denver is in a great spot. This is their, this is the time now for Denver. We've said it so many times over this show. Everybody said it on every sports show ever made that Denver always seemed like a team that was a quarterback away. Well, now you got it. It's not Drew Locke. It's not Teddy Bridgewater. It's Russell Wilson. The Russell Wilson, which also well, I love that thing they put on social media of the, the Wilson... No, uh, gift. That was a that was a nice that was a nice touch right there. But anyway, this is your time if you're Denver. You got a legit young defense that you can even add to in this draft in the first round. That that you have a quarterback, you got a young running back and a complimentary back with Melvin Gordon. You got a great receiving core that I think is a little underrated because they're not big name players with Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler. I think you can definitely say Jerry Judy could be on a bus for a breakout season this year. And Albert O is not a bad tight end either. He just had to share snaps with Noah Fant. That's not his fault, which now he's got full reign. He should be one that you should be looking as a sleeper in fantasy next year, in my book. But it's going to be hard for them to get out of this division, man. It's going to be hard. I would have honestly rather Russell go to Indianapolis because that would have made me a lot, a lot better. Because I think this division is just deadlocked itself. It's hard. We're going to have teams, potentially the Raiders at the bottom of the division at a eight, as an eight-win, nine-win team. That's tough. That's a deadlock division because you're going to have to play Mahomes. You're going to have to play Wilson. You're going to have to play Justin Herbert, who we'll talk about the Chargers breaking news here in just a minute. That's a tough job to go through that division to play those guys six times a year. And now the Chargers, breaking news if you're just listening to this as the release drop, and I appreciate you. The Chargers now have Khalil Mack. They just made a trade for Khalil Mack, and he's going to be a Los Angeles Charger. What? That's a huge, huge addition for them. And the Chargers only had to send a second rounder and a sixth rounder for a six-time Pro Bowler. In my book, that's a slight steal. I think that's a slight steal. But we'll see how it all works out anyway for Brandon Staley and that crew in L.A. But another trade that might not have made the same noise and news as Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, to the Washington Commanders. I know if Washington fans aren't liking this trade, and I don't blame them. They've had to go through so much, winning two years to know their identity. Now knowing their identity, not liking their uniforms, having problems with their ownership, a stadium that should almost be pretty much blown up and start over. And now they got Carson Wentz. And that's no, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade at Carson Wentz. He's not the blockbuster Russell Wilson. He's not the blockbuster potentially Aaron Rodgers. 
He's not one of those guys. And he's he plays better than people give him credit for, but then he plays really worse than some people look up for him too. So that's a shame. Just don't forget that he still has to beat out Ryan Fitzpatrick. Don't forget that. If Ryan Fitzpatrick leaves, it's a darn shame because I'd really love to see what Washington would do with him because I think he could bring a little bit of Fitz magic to the Washington Commanders in their first season. But uh, some NFL draft news, basically, after these deals have been. Also, Aaron Rodgers re-signing with Green Bay. I think that was one that we all remember being a possibility, but kind of wanted the Denver thing to work out a little bit more. But I hate it because I'm an NFC North Lions fan, so now that deadlocks a division for another year, unfortunately, as well as tagging Devontae Adams doesn't help either. But I think it's still, I think that's what everybody wants. Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay. I think that's what everybody wants because Green Bay wouldn't be the same without Aaron Rodgers. So I think that's just the fact of that. But NFL draft news and rumors. I think you have to know going into this draft, if there's a couple things, I'll give you three things that I'm looking forward to in this draft, including a couple things for the Lions. Number one, don't be surprised if Jacksonville doesn't take a tackle. Don't be surprised. I know right now every mock draft in the book has them taking um has them taking offensive linemen, whether it's whether it's a Kong Wu, whether it's Evan Neal. I think that you have to go into the mindset that there's going to be a, a potential for an edge taken there, especially if you're the lines with a number two pick. I think there has to be I I just don't see why the Jacksonville Jaguars would sign Cam Robinson at the tackle spot and then go out and draw in and take a guy at the tackle spot. It's just hard for me. And they apparently really like Aiden Hutchinson. They really do. And I think that that one could be a possibility. I think that could be a real possibility for them. So I really like the idea of them potentially taking a tackle and potentially giving us more room for a skill player because I think that's what we need. But I don't I would not be surprised if that happens. Number two, there will be a quarterback taken in the top 10. I know that that's been one of the things this year that this quarterback draft class is not the right it's not the good one. It's not the the holy grail of QBs. But I will predict that one will get taken in the top 10. And that's just the nature of the position changing so much. I'm not saying it's like changing as far as like, yeah, the the way quarterbacks play is different, but the way that quarterbacks are valued in this league has been nothing short of astronomical when you look at the current playoff teams that this past year has had. How many of them have had an iffy quarterback? The closest one really was the Miami Dolphins with Tua potentially making the postseason. That and that's their franchise guy. So the fact of it is there's gonna be a team that is gonna want that. Whether it's the Falcons getting Mount Ryan's predecessor, whether it's even my Lions, if they want to try to take Malik Willis, I mean, I'm game for that. I don't know how much I like it at number two, but I think there there's other needs, but that's my personal opinion. Obviously, everybody has their own. But I think that there's also what we should think of as the NFL draft altogether as a quarterback will be taken in the top 10. It's almost guaranteed. It's going to happen at some point. So matter of fact is, which one is it going to be? I think Malik Willis is probably going to be the one just because of his potential. It's going to be a little bit similar to the Trey Lance experience we had from last year. The 49ers, probably a team was going to trade up and get that pick and take it to quarterback. So don't be surprised, even though that they're getting way undervalued. 
in this upcoming draft. That there's not the standout Trevor Lawrence guy. There's not a Deshaun Watson. There's not a Mahomes that could that they're all around the top, the ten to fifteen range in the mocks. Don't does not mean that we won't see a Mitch Trubisky again get drafted number two. It's just possible, guys, and I do think it's going to happen just based off of what we've seen and what we've heard from Malik Willis and that buzz in the combine from him and a lot of those guys like Sauce Gardner that have been undervalued on before the combine now that they are spiraling upward, uh, especially at the line spot as well with guys like Penning and guys like and guys like Afan Wu. So I think that there's some, that's definitely something you're going to have to watch is the, where a quarterback goes, and I do believe there will be one in the top 10. Uh, the third thing that I would mention, this one's strictly for Lions fans, um, I hope Brad Holmes trades down. And I know this is my opinion, and that's totally fine. And I'll go. I'll go on this boat by myself if I have to. I love the having the number two pick. I really do. But I really feel like the guy that we're going to take could be available farther down the line. I think that's the po- I think that's a possibility. And I've looked at mock drafts a lot over the last couple of weeks, and being able to see what potential trades could happen between teams. And I've seen Todd McShay and all of his predictions of what could happen. And I think it's fair to say that us as Lions fans, we would love a quarterback. We would love a quarterback. But in my mind, I'm okay with one more year of golf. I hate to say it because I almost wanted him cut immediately halfway through the season, but that was on me. That was a misinterpretation because Anthony Wynn wasn't making the right game plans. We saw that in the last eight games with Dan Campbell. But in my mind, there's going to be a team that wants a quarterback so badly in this class that will overvalue a Kenny Pickett or overvalue a guy like Sam Howell that they will trade up around to get him. So. Why wouldn't we take advantage of that if we don't like any of these guys? I'm sure we like Malik Willis. The question is, are we willing to take a number two? Or do we try to trade out to a team that wants an elite skill player, not at the quarterback position that we know of, to let them make that pick? Because there will be some of those teams. I, I really do think that there are some teams. I know some people would be like, why would they trade up for not a quarterback? That's crazy. But there's some guys... In this draft, that will be legit players that can change a franchise. I really do think there is. I think that there's teams in the mid-round of the first round that will give up to go get a, a Kyle Hamilton. That will go and give out for a lot, guy like Ahmad Gardner. That will go out and get somebody. What, what, what are the Seahawks going to do? They're in that position at nine. Are they going to go up and trade for a quarterback and give up the, some of the capital that they just earned? That's that's the question. But I'm hoping for somebody that would go up like potentially the commanders now that they have their quarterback spot potentially filled that they might be looking necessarily at an offensive tackle or maybe even the the, the Vikings or the Browns that need a skill position so badly that they'll trade up to go get it. So why why wouldn't we want to accept something like that? I'm not saying it's going to happen. I would promise, um, I would obviously predict that they we're probably going to take the number two pick and we're going to run with it. But I would love for us to get some more capital because I think with what we've seen from Brad Holmes, what we've seen with Dan Campbell in that first draft, 
there's a lot of positives that can come out. So why not get as much capital as we need and really let them maximize their skill set on getting a lot of these gold ticket picks in the later rounds, like the Amon Ross St. Browns, like the potential of a Derek Barnes. Getting those guys and having that ability to stack up those picks and score even more is going to make this rebuild much better for the Detroit Lions, make it faster and have people believe more because that's what people want to see the most. No patience, all gas, no brakes. But that's going to be it for the fair, the fair stage sports report and the rest of the episode. We thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are on. Don't forget to follow us at the MBSP on social media. I appreciate all of you guys for hanging with me for this episode. Me and Joe will be back in the studio as regular regularly scheduled programming next week. I'm so so excited. I literally can't talk because I'm talking so fast. I'll try to slow down. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And until always, take care, everybody.